HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Comté-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. Hello, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Elena Santigate. So there's really no good way to introduce this episode, I've decided. It's Monday, March 30th, year 2020, and here in New York City, we are on day 10 of statewide orders to shelter in place. Coronavirus is our new normal, and it has sent pretty much every facet of human existence into a tailspin, as anyone listening knows already. With restaurants mostly closed or doing dramatically less business through takeout and delivery, cheesemakers, importers, and distributors have lost enormous swaths of their business seemingly overnight. Grocery stores are slammed, but shoppers aren't lingering in groups at the cheese counter eager to try new local delicacies. Instead, what we're hearing is that folks are in and out of stores quickly these days and mostly buying parm, cheddar, and gruyere, those sort of stalwart cheeses. Fellow cutting the cro- Fellow Cutting the Curd host Aaron Foster is here with me today to talk more about how coronavirus or COVID-19 has impacted his independent specialty retail business located here in New York City, currently the epicenter of the pandemic. Aaron, usually I'm more enthusiastic about welcoming folks on air, but frankly, it's a little hard to be enthusiastic about much right now. So thank you for joining me on air today. Yeah, it was a real downer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah real real slow play into that i mean you know, I, you know i'm accustomed to in, to welcoming people onto the air as well now so it's, that's true uh, you know i i usually try to, to bring some fanfare in but it's uh it's serious business and uh you know we should i think we should be clear with people right from the top that there's not a lot of silver lining or good news in this podcast mm-hmm. coming up Yeah, you know, Um, thinking about our listener base, I think in thinking about how to do a show about what's happening right now in our industry, it feels most important to just commiserate, to share shared experience, to let people know they're not the only ones going through what you're going through. Um, uh, So 
let's get into it. Let's hear about how things are going. My first, um, my first question is that I saw that your, your shop in Bushwick, Brooklyn is still open for business. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about what has changed in terms of like what that means in the new normal? Sure. Yeah. I mean, as of five, five, 12 PM on Monday, March 30th, we are still open for business. Mm-hmm. Um, that could change at any moment. Um, but yeah, so we started looking at this thing in mid to late February. I sent in my first email and text messages to staff, um, you know, I think in the, probably in the last week of February, Mm -hmm. um, which at this point seems like an eternity ago. Yeah. May as well be another Um, year. Yeah. And we sort of, we anticipated certain impacts, but I, you know, we, we didn't anticipate every restaurant being closed, there being a shelter in place, um, having to close our kitchen. Mm. Um, so so what, I, I guess I'll just give you like a, a broad overview of kind of where we were and where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, before this all started, we were coming into 2020 um, as a, let's call it mildly profitable store. Mm-hmm. Which <laughs> um, is sort of a big deal in our industry, to be honest. Yeah, no, I'll <laughs> take it. Um, and for those of our listeners who don't know me or don't know the store, we're kind of a, a funny little hybrid, little grocery superette type thing. Um, we have a full service meat counter, a full service cheese counter, a small kind of highly curated selection of um, groceries and pantry items, some fresh produce, um, a little sandwich uh, and like breakfast biscuit burrito menu um with about 10 items on it and uh like a full service coffee bar and we do a little bit of everything but we do it all at about 1500 square feet so it's not large um at a a month ago we had a staff of 20 uh including myself um i was not scheduled for regular counter shifts and i was doing a lot of the admin um but i had three to four people in each department and a couple of uh, porters as well um, we were open seven days a week from eight to eight and cut to today. Uh, I now have a staff of 11. Mm. Um, we are open nine to six Monday through Wednesday and Friday through Sunday and closed on Thursdays. And my, well, let's, we'll, we'll just leave it at that and then we mm-hmm. can get into sales and customers in a little bit. But, um, that's kind of the very top level, top level changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that I'm sure we don't miss it for, I think, especially our listeners who also, uh, own or manage shops, um, might be interested in the staffing model you've switched to with the Thursday closure. Could you explain, um, yeah. that a little bit? So, yeah, I, um, I have a lot of doctor friends, um, particularly in New York. Um, and one of them I was speaking to on the phone who was describing early incidents of infection on their staff and how they had tried to come up with solutions to like mitigate um, staff, like high staff infection rates. And they, I think, I think the word he used was firewalling. I can't be sure, but he said that they were moving to non overlapping teams 
and so that one person on one team couldn't infect, while they could still potentially infect people on their own team, they would have zero contact and no one on their team would have any contact with anyone on the other team. Mm. So we kind of implemented this uh, last week, at the beginning of last week, so we're now into our second week of it, where Monday through Wednesday is Team A and uh, Friday through Sunday, Thursday through Sunday is Team B. Mm-hmm. Um, Thursday is a very skeleton crew uh, and they're there to just do a deep clean and reset. And then Friday through Sunday is we're open to the customers again and no one on Team A can sort of see or fraternize or, or do anything with anyone on Team B. They can't come into the store on the days that their team is not working. Hmm. Um, and that's to, to firewall potential spread of infection uh, on, a, on a single team. Was it hard to implement, like in terms of, it sounds like your staff must have taken a cut in hours and schedule. Yeah, so the, the definitely, the way we, we kind of set it up is, um, so we had a number of staff self, what, I'm, what, I, what we've been calling self-furloughing, but basically say, it's too dangerous for me to come to work, mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable, I'm going to stay home and not work. Mm-hmm. Um we had several people do that and several more at the beginning and then kind of several more do it over the week this past weekend. Um, but we basically have people working open to close, so roughly 10-hour shifts um, mm, for I three see. days. I see. So it'll get them, it gets them close. Um, it's mm-hmm. probably three-quarter time, a little bit more, but not full, full time. Got it. Um, so it, it was the fairest way to reduce everyone's hours without, you know, laying... Mm-hmm. Like, laying too many people off essentially mm-hmm. got it um but we did we also we so of the nine people that um are no longer working with us um i believe it is one two three four i think four of them uh four of them self-furloughed one is on quarantine and the other four uh, were laid off, basically. Mm-hmm. So you're a week in to this new model, to this new yeah. organization. How's it going? Um, it feels okay. Because we don't have proper weekends anymore, that is to say we don't have like a busy day versus mm. a non-busy day, there isn't really like a... Nobody's kind of getting the short end of the, of mm. the stick. I see. Um, so like... The sales are roughly equi- uh, like equivalent Monday through Wednesday and, and Friday through Sunday. Mm-hmm. I think you know the biggest the biggest kind of variation we've seen so far is weather based mm-hmm. more than anything else. Hmm. Like if it's nice out, people feel compelled to leave the house mm-hmm. even when they're not supposed to and come to the grocery store. And when it's shitty out, people feel more inclined to um, just kind of stay in and abide by the shelter in place order. Although I will say that we we are legally allowed to be open and and I feel that we do have a certain civic community duty to stay open um mm. although there's you know I, I we can talk more about the sort of I would say like ethical and moral complication there later yeah well we can talk about it now um <laughs> I'm curious like how you're navigating that how you're how, how you're thinking through those questions of the ethics of like being an essential business. Well, here, and... actually, let me... Yeah? 
Yeah, let me let me say one more uh, one more thing, just sort okay. of to kind of paint the picture. So we've got these two teams; they're not mm-hmm. overlapping, which requires a big change in communication. Mm. Um, it's definitely hard. I'm I'm most so two of my managers are married to each other, mm-hmm. which means they're both on Team B. Um, and then I have one other person also on another manager on Team B. So um, it's it's hard to kind of keep us all on the same page. We've definitely done some zooming, which mm-hmm. isn't super retail friendly. Um, right. But uh, and I will say we 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 closed our kitchen um, because we just saw a pretty precipitous drop in mm. um, people coming in to order food. That was that was a very big draw. People just coming in for brunch and breakfast and lunch, mm-hmm. um, and also people coming in for coffee. Our our coffee business and our um, kitchen business has has basically well fell so far off the map that. Um, we mm-hmm. closed the kitchen entirely, and we are doing a small amount of coffee. Coffee um, was one of your coffee larger is... categories, wasn't it, before? It was. I mean, my two largest categories are, are now among my, well, they are the smallest. Mm. Um, the co- yeah, coffee and sandwiches were my two largest, followed closely by meat. Sometimes They would all vie for the top, mm-hmm. um, and now coffee and, and sandwiches, sandwiches are zero. Coffee is quite low. And meat mm-hmm. is extremely high. Hmm. Um, and the other thing, uh, other things we sort of implemented early before, um, before I think there were there were more clear government mandates and recommendations on this was um, rec- doing a sort of one in one out six people max capacity in the store six customers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was to protect the staff, reduce the number of people, prevent people from kind of breathing down each other's necks, and. Um, overcrowding each other and mm-hmm. I actually went and painted because I couldn't buy a paintbrush um, uh, X's out on the sidewalk um, every six feet to mm. kind of provide line assistance right. queuing assistance um, it's amazing how so many people keep... don't seem to know how how much space six feet is it's no, my, I mean my, it's, it's my theory is that there's a spatial challenge among New Yorkers, perhaps based on what I'm seeing on the street. We're all very accustomed, <laughs> yeah, very accustomed to just not, uh, you know, being in up in each other's business. Yeah, we haven't had the luxury um, too. You could argue. So how could how could we even imagine staying that far from one another? That's been a big adjustment on sort of a simple level. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's and then we and we also have numbers on the floor, six numbers on the floor in the store, six feet apart, measured with a tape measure, so that mm. um, when people are kind of shopping and queuing in the store, they generally keep to a number. Mm-hmm. Have you seen your customers be like extra aware of that? How are they handling it? Um, yeah, people are starting to learn. Uh, we we definitely over the first couple. So we've been doing that that now for I think. Over three weeks at this mm-hmm. point, probably, um, or about three weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, initially, customers were pretty miffed about it. Um, didn't like being reminded to stand on the numbers. Uh, <laughs> didn't really get it. We had some some sort of deniers, uh, mm-hmm. COVID deniers, and in, in the audience as well. But um, <laughs> these days, most most of our customers that have been shopping with us remember to do it on their own. But we're also seeing a lot fewer of our regulars and a lot more new customers who we have to remind. What do you think that's all about? That change? I think people, yeah, I think, I don't know, but I would guess that um, people are going farther afield for 
items that they consider essential that are not available any longer or as easily in their wherever mm-hmm. they would shop locally. So the that, new that's folks, my best guess the new that. folks you're seeing, you're saying are maybe from other neighborhoods, not from Stones. Club. Yes, I see. Right. I think people are traveling a little bit farther afield. Most of the people in our neighborhood know us at this point. We were running at about one in 12 would be like our, our novel customer rate. Mm-hmm. Um, one in 12, one in, which like is fairly low. Like that was our kind of steady rate. Um, mo- you know, 11 out of 12 customers were known to us in some way over the last three months. Mm. Um, now uh, it's like one in five is new. Hmm. Interesting. So, so that's more than doubled mm-hmm. the rate of new customers. Hmm. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's uh, and people are asking for interesting things. Like we've gotten a few requests for goat recently, and I think that's hmm. perhaps because people are either attempting shut in like new and exciting cooking projects, but also I think um, some of the some ethnic stores uh, that carry that would sell goat, um, ethnic food stores aren't mm-hmm. open. Mm. And so people are having to travel a little bit farther afield. Hmm. Are you selling goat, goat meat? No, we're not. <laughs> it's, it's not the time to take a, take a chance on goat meat. <laughs> Just, you know, gauging how much you're still, you're able to innovate at this point. <laughs> yeah, we are. We have reduced innovation dramatically. I mean, that's probably worth mentioning too. It's like we've yeah. tried to simplify our business model, um, Okay, so what does that Our, look like? What does that mean on the ground? Yeah, so like with I, I guess the the overview is or the sort of top top line is that with the chain like closing of my kitchen, the reduction in coffee sales, the great increase in meat sales, the great increase in like grocery and pantry items, mm-hmm. and cheese is down or 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 at the very least different. Mm-hmm. Um, it. My um, my margin mix, which is like a fancy way of saying like the money I make off of different department sales, mm-hmm. um, is just dramatically different than it was a month ago. Um, so like, you know, the underlying regular cash flow mm-hmm. and um, profitability of my business is no longer like uh, in balance, known to me basically. as clearly. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it were in balance, right? Because I assume um, that knowing how you do things, I assume that you had basically a financial model that showed that if you had a certain percentage of sales from a certain segment of your business that gave you, that you aimed for, you know, a specific margin on, you're going to be okay. Like if you, you could kind of balance yes. out that you're di- different le- levers, so to speak. Right. I always think of like a soundboard or something like mm-hmm. that, where you're kind of turning up and down different things mm-hmm. and increasing the volume on one instrument and decreasing it on another right. to try to get to like a harmonious whole. Right. And now there's like, um, so are, now would you say you're like, there's no model for what is happening? I mean, maybe there is. I just, I just don't, I, it's too early. Hmm. Businesses like mine, there's, there's never that kind of super transparent visibility into like the finances on a, on a micro day-to-day basis. Like Mm. there needs, there's always a lag um, while the kind of noise separates from the signal and you, and you get a sense of what, you know, what the financials are and what your cash flow is looking like and where you're Mm. sort of bleeding and where you're, you're fat. Um, 
I would say like I just I haven't I don't know yet. It's it's I know that hmm. the business that I'm doing now is is lower margin, but I also know that I'm doing a lot more of it than I was before. Hmm. And I just don't know whether the higher volume, lower margin makes up for the um for the difference. Right. Uh given the other changes in my overhead, like my reduced labor. Right. Um you know, we 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 didn't have a rent reduction, sales tax is still the same. Hmm. Um so my electric bill didn't go down. Uh, right. Right. My gas bill didn't go down. My insurance is the same. So it's like trying to understand whether all of those things kind of feed in and and make up for each other. Mhm. Do you do you have a gauge on when you might know? Is it like you feel like a 30-day sort of yeah, 30 days seems like a good starting point. I mean, mm-hmm. I I ran my my payroll, my last payroll um which was a week ago today mm-hmm. and deposited this past Friday was the largest payroll I've ever run. Hmm. Um and that was crazy. Yeah, um, and that was on with nine fewer employees. N- well, not yet. It was not with yet. employees okay. that had chosen to leave or or left but still had worked the previous two weeks which I were see. quite I busy. See. Got it. And so there's a lag basically. Right. Um there's a lag of at least a week, but really a week plus two weeks plus mm-hmm. so you like your payroll comes out and then there's two weeks of people working and then the next one comes out uh mm-hmm. a week later. So mm. um I will know basically a week from Friday what it really looks like. Mm. Um or much more what it looks like. But we right. you know, we with, with the people that we laid off, there was not they had not yet passed this this stimulus slash relief slash oh clusterfuck of a package um <laughs> and so like it, i i didn't know what kind of landing those laid off employees would have so mm. we did pay them out like basically a week of severance mm-hmm. um and now you know i'm not sure I, I i don't financially that that may have been the wrong move but it it felt like something i needed to do yeah um how are you? And frankly, legally, it's unclear what what we're supposed to do. Hmm. That was that was another question I had of like, how are you figuring out uh, the nuances of that package? How it relates to your business? How you can, you know, reap the benefits if there are any? How are you navigating yeah, that? Yeah. Um, I don't. Uh, so I have a a call in the morning with our accountants um who have said that they have perused the bill and uh are looking at options to take advantage of some of the you know the 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 relief options there so i I should say something right off the bat like we're very we're at least financially fortunate that we're able to stay open we have been quite busy um just, I'll give you real numbers here because I can pull them up right here on my computer. But um, I'm sure our listeners are going to basically. That. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always would prefer to just be transparent about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so the week, uh, so not this past week, um, not the week before, but the week before that. So it would have been uh, pull up the calendar. Uh, today is the 30th, so... So the week of the, the week 16th? of the 9th. Oh, okay, the 9th. All right. Well, so the week of the n- the 9th, we did um, 
71% over last year. Hmm. Um, so wow. it was a huge week for us. And in fact, the week before that, we did four, like 25% over last year, which was up until that point our highest like year over year comp in hmm. well over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, then, so that was, that was the week of the 9th. Then the following week, the week of the 16th, we did 50% over last year. Hmm. Um, and that was the week that the shelter week, in place. Um, Went into effect, went into yeah. Effect, yeah. was in effect the whole week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this past week, we were down 12% over last year, but we were also only open six days. Hmm. And that's with our two, two of our biggest channels not operating. Wow. So, so it so sounds we're, like you... you... know, we are still selling things. Right. Um, and, I, and I don't want to sound like a whiner that, like, you know, our margin mix is all messed up and fakakta mm-hmm. um, because we are still in business. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a it's a brave new world. Um, and well, it sounds you're like in a ha- moment of you're in an opaque moment uh, on a business that was pretty transparent. I think it sounds like yeah. Like right now, it's like you can't I, uh, really see what's at the end right. at the end of this curve. Mm-hmm. And I worked, I mean, I worked 20 days in a row, uh, if not open to close. I certainly was open to close for like that last week mm-hmm. um, until the week A, until the team A, team B stuff started. Mm-hmm. That was, I had worked basically 20 days in a row and it was awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah, it was Christmas. It was Christmas and Thanksgiving all, and Hurricane Sandy and everything rolled into one, right. except nobody gave us any advance warning. <laughs> <laughs> you you didn't um, see it coming at all. Yeah, exactly. Oi. Yeah. Well, let's do this. Let's jump to a quick break. Uh, we'll take we'll take our momentary break here in the middle of the show, and then when we come back, I want to hear more about your decision making processes in terms of how long do you stay open, how do you weigh out the pros and cons of that, um, and we'll get more into that side of it. episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. 
No wheel of Conte is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm Elena Santigade, and I'm here with Aaron Foster. We're talking about uh, retail front lines of coronavirus reality here in New York City. Um, and so, Aaron, right before the break, we had kind of like finished sort of sketching this view of what your business of what it looked like before, what it looks like right now. And I'm curious to hear more about how you are, I don't know, how are you, how often are you thinking through the factors that are, that go into your decision to stay open or not? Um, are you connecting with specific people about that? Are you, are there resources that you're yeah. consulting? Tell me about, about your decision making these days. So I should say, like, again, I, I, I recognize that, like, that my business is in a privileged position of, mm-hmm. like, being sort of diversified and robust enough to still be open. Like, we're not a restaurant that was forced to close and mm-hmm. had to lay off all our staff. And we're not another kind of specialty store where, you know, our customers just aren't coming in anymore uh, mm-hmm. or they're not driving to us or, um, you know, we... we we serve enough of a, like a broad swath of customers and mm-hmm. we carry a broad swath of ingredients so that we are, you know, we're very fortunate that we can, that we have the choice of right. staying open before, mm-hmm. before I kind of get into like what that choice and looked like for us or mm-hmm. looks like for us. Cause it, we're reevaluating on a daily basis. Um, you know, I should, I, I really, I, I don't want to come off without, you know, sounding like I, I don't understand that, like, mm-hmm. we're fortunate to have that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, so my situation is interesting. My wife is, she's employed. She's a lawyer. And so she's working. Um, she's working a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. And and her work has moved to working from home. And, and she's otherwise social distancing and being careful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am I am the big sort of like sore red thumb uh in in our situation because like I'm going in and interacting with a hundred people a day. Mm-hmm. Um and for the last couple of weeks it was several hundred people a day. Right. Um because it was mobbed, uh even if um you know, even if we were enforcing the the six feet situation mm-hmm. and six customers at a time, I was still seeing people. Um and so, you know, every time I go to work like I'm putting myself at risk but I'm also putting her at risk mm. um now yeah, I think there's a lot she's... of it's a, it's something sorry to interrupt but I do I no. think of it as this it's this whole other dimension to any type of like people facing work right now it's just like not you're not only sort of considering your own health but who are you interacting with at home it's a big question 
Well, and then you have to think about third order interactions, like or or second, like who are they right. interacting with? Like if if you go home, if you live in a roommate situation, and you go home, and your roommates have to go to their jobs, mm-hmm. um, who are they interacting with? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it starts to get kind of hairy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that's something that you know my wife and I have discussed at length and repeatedly, which is like, what are our like what are our risk thresholds mm. and um have you what... found that those have changed like are those changing over time or have they stayed pretty solid they definitely change depending on mood um, <laughs> um I, you know we there's there's anxiety uh that changes depending on the day depending on the news um that yeah, I don't know. Um, we, you know, we've. I've definitely like, woke, gone to bed saying, you know what, fuck it, we're gonna close. Like, it's too much risk. Um, and then woken up and be like, no, that was, too, that was, too impulsive, and mm-hmm. and we can't do that. Um, I've also tried, and I and I and I go back and forth on this. Like, I have tried to bring my staff in, to my head on this. Like, I've I've tried to communicate. Um very like openly and uh, and clearly with them and i've certainly like on more than one occasion just openly wept in front of them which is mm. maybe not like not the greatest quality of a leader but i think um, it, arguably it could be so that's maybe fodder for another show but <laughs> yeah perhaps um we can do a show on eq or something but uh it's been it's been extremely hard and laying people off i've never had to do uh, and it's mm-hmm. it sucks, man. It sucks mm-hmm. so bad. And I know that it sucks more for the people that got laid off, but it still yeah. sucks. Um, but like, I I would have regular meetings with my staff, being like, you have to understand that you're assuming risk by coming to work, mm-hmm. um, and that that risk is not insignificant. Um, and like, not in those only meetings, are you assuming that risk it... yourself. But... Right. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, not only are you assuming that risk for yourself, but you're assuming it for your partners that you live with or uh, your roommates that you cohabitate with mm-hmm. and anyone that they're in, in contact with. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, you need to get their buy-in on it. And, you like, uh, right. I, you know, for the moment, like, if you guys don't want to come to work, like, I get it and we'll close. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't want you to, like, worry about me and whether or not I'm going to be okay. Like I'm worried about you and I don't, I don't want you to get sick and I would feel awful and terrible if one of you got seriously sick um, mm-hmm. or one of your roommates or one of your spouses. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also I feel conflicted about that because some of my employees need the paycheck and right. don't have as much choice as I do or um, some people on my staff do in terms of whether or not um, they can afford to not come to work. Mm-hmm. And things are a little brighter or clearer or, or more workable with the stimulus slash aid slash clusterfuck package, but mm-hmm. like, um, it's it's still it's still tricky and it's still a difficult calculus to make. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like um, when you brought those conversations to the staff, had they already also kind of gone through this decision making kind of process individually, or was it? kind of a first whoa we got to think about this in a different way moment for people i think most of my employees had kind of worked it out in their heads a little bit Mm. um but i really i made it 
like, I made it extremely clear and explicit instead of implicit that, mm-hmm. like, like, I kind of framed it, like, imagine you will get sick. Under, like, imagine mm-hmm. that the risk that you're assuming means that you are going to get this sooner than later and what, you know, what that means for you. Like, you read the news, I read the news, we all have the same information. Um, you know, is that a risk you're willing to undertake or is it a risk that you don't have a choice to? And I, and I, and I told my employees that, like, if they you know, if they really feel like they're only coming to work because they have to, like, come and talk to me privately and we will, mm. um, we'll, we'll discuss it. Um, and I'll do what I can. Yeah. Um, but, like, our finances are not dissimilar from, I think, most of similar businesses where, like, we work on, like, we don't have a, a war chest. Right. And we don't keep a ton of money aside for, like, rainy days. We, our cash flow, come, like... I depend on like a busy weekend to pay next week's payroll. Like I imagine most small businesses do, and, mm-hmm. um, particularly in New York where overhead is so high. Uh, mm-hmm. There's not a lot of wiggle room, but I we try to be there for our staff. Yeah. So I would say yeah, they did understand the risks. I think they to, to the best of their abilities, they all kind of listened and understood. And it was those moments that I tended to break down where it was just like, I need you to understand that like, if one of you gets sick, like. Not only do you need to be careful, both mm-hmm. in at work and outside of work, because anything, if you know, if you don't behave and don't social distance outside of work, then you run the risk of getting us all sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like, you know, the idea of somebody getting sick and 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 you know, experiencing real harm is 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 the thing that I'm most afraid of. But I'm yeah. also balancing that against staying open at all and and coming home and getting my spouse sick. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's it sucks. It's a, it's like, it's a shitty decision. And like, if we closed, you know, like we'd lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. And mm-hmm. um, I would, uh, and and it, it would be a real emotional blow for me. Mm-hmm. But like, I would, you know, we, I would probably financially like we wouldn't be ruined. My wife and I, we would survive, mm-hmm. um, and our investors would survive. I believe. Um, obviously, it's not it's not an eventuality we want. But like, mm-hmm. I, so it, it becomes a very, you know, I, I'm being extremely honest because it, it, it is a, um, there's just a lot, there's no right answer. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of emotional um, weighing and risk weighing and there's just all this risk and all this uncertainty and those are two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we just, yeah, you, we're, we're trying it's like trying to kind of repair, like rebuild a, a plane while flying through fog. And you know, there's mountains around. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You just, you know. Well. Um, but as long as you're airborne, you're still going. And, and do you, do you purposely try to land and you don't know where your landing strip is, but you, at least, you know, you won't hit a mountain right. or do oh, you God. keep flying because oh. you haven't hit one yet? <laughs> oh God. Oh man. Well, it does sound I like know. it's not. It's, it's not a real. It's not a real cheerful metaphor, but yeah. But it's it seems true to life. I mean, it just does. And I'm I, I'm thinking that a lot of people listening are going to relate to these feelings and that sort of day to day kind of like judgment call that you're making. Oh God! Every day I wake up and I'm like, "Is this the day that I get sick? Is this the day?" You know, and every mm-hmm. little tickle I have, I'm like, "Oh right. God, is this it?" Like, 
where it's like, oh, I'm just not sleeping and drinking too much and right. generally, like, <laughs> stressed out. Stressed, yeah. Um, Doesn't help. Yeah, it's like every every morning I wake up and play the game, I was like, is it hangover or COVID? <laughs> Let's spin the wheel. <laughs> oh, man. And have another drink. <laughs> just Right. Oh, God. You know, and then I, I take out the thermometer, and it's like, oh, nope, just hungover. Yeah, so are you taking your temperature regularly? Is that something oh, yeah. that you're yeah. I, is that something that you're asking your staff to do as well? Um I am I, I, I've asked them I don't require it uh mm-hmm. at work, um partially because it's fucking impossible to get a thermometer or thermometer like covers right now. Um mm. uh, but I am Asking, I mean, I have for now weeks now. I've said if anyone feels the least bit sick, they need to stay home, and I will pay them to stay home. Mm. They should not come to work. They should not be a hero. Like, don't, don't feel obligated to me. Don't feel obligated to your coworkers. Like, we will figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, although at this point, if if once somebody gets sick, we're we're running with the staff we have now. Teams A and B are running with minimal staff. I think I don't mm-hmm. think we have any more room to lose people. So we'll have to reevaluate mm-hmm. and it's honestly it's probably a when right like when someone yeah. gets sick not if yeah that's the that's the grim truth i guess we're facing especially here in new york at this point the numbers indicate yeah. that that's the phrase so what so, about i don't know so to recap mm-hmm. I, I, sorry to interrupt you. that's okay I'm, no go ahead i, I feel like I'm, I'm hosting my own interview i apologize well, this is great you i think you're sharing a lot of stuff that people are going to be i don't know if glad is the right word but hopefully listeners this is helpful to you to hear so go ahead i imagine there i hope there are shop owners listening that know that they're not alone like i'm not on facebook and i did i did have like a really unfortunate instagram experience where i was like oversharing and using instagram early to kind of like you know share and 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 sound things out Mm -hmm. sound the alarm but also like use it as my sounding board and my my like online therapy tool and just Mm -hmm. kind of using Instagram stories to to talk about, like, the decisions, the difficult decisions we were making and what we were trying to do for staff. And, um, you know, I I had some hot takes that I think were, were mm-hmm. at the very least, you know, a little bit privileged um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, just unthought out um, and and took some trolls, troll flack for it um, mm-hmm. And just felt like it was no longer bringing... I mean, Instagram has not brought me joy for a long time. Um, (laughs) And I think in the time of COVID, uh, you know, I see this with other friends and family where it's just, it's too much. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a slot machine where all all of the little signs, instead of bars and cherries, it's just like poison science and skulls and crossbones um i've limited my feed to basically national geographic and the shed aquarium (laughs) that's uh, it smart it's very wise um but i i've you know i don't use facebook Mm -hmm. and i don't use um instagram anymore uh we do somebody else at the shop is managing ours now but i hope that people like shop owners and and customers and other business owners just know that their experiences are mm-hmm. like i i empathize and we're a lot of us are in the same boat it's uh it's mm-hmm. really really hard so to recap like you know we we are still open our sales are down but they are not out mm-hmm. we don't know if we're profitable um we are running with a skeleton crew we expect to get sick um 
and don't know what any given next day looks like. Mm-hmm. One thing we and haven't that brings talked... us, I think, to the relief package. Mm. Yeah. Well, sorry. Uh, go ahead. One thing we haven't really talked about is the cheese. And right, I'm sorry, and I always okay. I focus on the yeah. Well, it's an this interesting insight. Podcast. It's an interesting insight, though, that you know I think that. I've seen at least a lot of messaging and, and people kind of rallying around s- making sure we're still supporting local producers and finding outlets for softer, more perishable cheeses, and especially the cheesemakers that are relying on those to sell right now um, at the beginning of their sort of spring season. Uh, but it's, you know, you have all this decision-making, all these factors weighing on your mind, and we haven't even gotten to the cheese yet. You're right. Uh, or I, your suppliers. I, I definitely like, I totally just glossed over it um, because I feel like, and and maybe this, like, cheesemakers are going to hate me for saying this, but like, mm. like the selection in our case right now, it almost doesn't matter. Mm. Um, yeah. And it, and it obviously does, right? It does, like, well, what makes you say, what, what, like, right. Okay. So it doesn't matter, are you saying to your customers right now or, and to you? basically or who does it not matter? I I do mean to I mean to me personally but also mm-hmm. to customers like like I've I've had conversations with cheesemakers and with cheese distributors and they're you know they're obviously suffering greatly and I you know I I try to do my best to help them and buy things and and pay them um but I like my customers I would say that our customers and I've heard this anecdotally across the board and I think you mentioned it at the top mm-hmm. like people are just not down to experiment right now mm-hmm. they want brie they want cheddar they want gruyere mm-hmm. they want parm they want pecorino um and and like that's it right uh, they don't have I think I think it's because there's so much stress and uncertainty in the air yeah and that and risk that like Maybe and maybe this is just pushing it too far, but like I think that people just don't have any more room in their brains to be mm-hmm. like, I'll take a chance and try this. Like, yeah, you know, uh, artisan American tum, um, mm-hmm. you know, and spend a little bit more money on it. Like they just don't have room in their brains for that, and yeah. their appetite for novelty is extremely low. Um, and I think it's also interesting, like your customer price. And, and their expenditures might actually not be as big of a factor in your shop since it is a specialty shop, grocer. It's not like a grocery store where sure. people are suddenly trying to do their full grocery shopping at half the budget. Um, no, my average, in fact, my average ticket has like more than doubled mm-hmm. um, or, or almost doubled, I should say, um, since this started. And that's probably reflective of people not buying coffee and sandwiches, but... Mm. But it's interesting to think that those, that it's more of an emotional choice to, that folks are limiting the selection they're really actually looking at and interested in. Yeah, I think it's a subconscious emotional choice. Yeah. Like, I don't think people are making it very consciously, but I think um, what we're seeing, or at least what I'm seeing, and I've heard this anecdotally again across the board, is that, mm-hmm. like, subconsciously as a nation and certainly as a city, um, or geographic region we've like we've really kind of concentrated rallied the troops circled the wagons whatever it is around the tried and true standbys the ones that hold Mm -hmm. up in your fridge um Mm -hmm. and the things that 
that can be relied upon for recipes and mm-hmm. for snacks. And um, people also don't want to linger in front of the cheese counter um, yeah. and taste through a bunch of cheeses and have extended conversations through masks or through plexiglass or whatever at right. six feet distant. And fr- and I don't want them to. Yeah. <laughs> I want my customers in and out. I want them to come to me less frequently. Mm. I want them to buy buy more and and not not panic buy, not hoard, but like plan ahead and mm-hmm. come less often. And I want them to like get in and get out. I don't want them to linger. The longer they're there, the like the more risk there is of us infecting them or them infecting us. Mm-hmm. It's a really good you know, point. If somebody makes their single trip t- to the grocery store once a week. Like the only time that they're going to interact with people is in our store in a, a regular grocery store. But like, think about how many people the person you're interacting with has interacted with just that day. Mm-hmm. It's like you might be social distancing, but then you go out and all of a sudden you're like one degree distant from someone who has many, many, many contacts and you become a node. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like, I don't mean to armchair, you know, be an armchair epidemiologist, but like, um, it, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, hmm. so yeah, it's, I, and I, I, I do, and I, and I, I understand that like saying it almost doesn't matter. It just is so dismissive. It must be really painful for a cheesemaker to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same, and, and like, obviously they're dealing with, you know, uh, receivables issues and production issues. Like, you know, you can't just turn off the spigot. Um, right. And if you have limited room, uh, it's really hard. And, and aged cheeses have, or fresh cheeses have, like, super low, sh- you know, short shelf lives and, and need to be sold or they go in the garbage. And hard cheeses, at the very least, you can, like, stack. Right. Know, uh, Hold them a little cram longer. In and stack. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, um, there's some flexibility there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I certainly empathize. Um, but, yeah. like, it... Our, it, honestly, for us and our customers, like we don't have the bandwidth to like curate a selection mm-hmm. that um, is a little bit more interesting, and I don't think our customers have the appetite for it right now. Right, and I know that's probably not what like the little guys want to hear. Right, or and it also sounds like you're not trying to you know back to that mention of innovation or you know we haven't talked about like marketing or anything but that doesn't sound like this is the moment where you're thinking about your marketing strategy or how to. <laughs> how to bring right people's attention where you want it to go it's more of like you're in reactive mode yeah i mean you 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 don't want to open more fronts on which to to fight and um frankly like mental resources are pretty slim like i just don't have the bandwidth like i'm trying to get delivery up on and running i'm trying to get pickup up and running mm-hmm. um without losing all my margin um which i've mostly already lost and that's uh, I just there's a lot of challenges there, mm-hmm. and not to mention the HR, the ongoing like HR and health and safety challenges, and like mm-hmm. uh, and financial challenges. <laughs> and so it's like so I don't have room to be like, here's like I just brought in this new producer, like come check <laughs> them out, and right. you know, it's just I don't I just it's not really realistic, right. So you mentioned that you are doing you know gearing up for pickups and delivery and online ordering. Do you have a, a plan for when you'll launch those components yeah i think i think it was last monday i said i would do it um mm-hmm. and maybe the monday before that um and then i said today <laughs> and i think maybe tomorrow i don't know um what's keeping you from like, pressing go on that 
so we're trying to do it all through Squarespace and not give it over to Caviar or Mercado or Grubhub or Seamless or these mm-hmm. other kind of services. There are insurance implications. There are um, certainly logistical, huge logistical challenges in terms of how do you set up the ordering processes and fulfillment. We do a lot of random weight items, like how do you account for chickens or steaks or mm. cut chunks of cheese? Um you know, how do you make it legal and fair and safe and cold and mm. contactless delivery and refunds and subs and... Um, it's like a whole new business. You know, packaging. It's a whole new business. And, like, you... And right now it's a whole new business with, like, limited resources, limited supplies. Like, I can't just, like... Right now it's... it's I can't even get hot cold bags to, like, mm. keep my product, you know, my chickens and stuff cold for delivery because mm. everyone's out of them because everyone had the same idea we did. Mm. Um, I mean, it's hard enough to get fucking toilet paper right now. <laughs> right. That seems like one of the hardest things so, to get. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it is my brain. I come, you know, I worked at Murray's and I, and I do have uh, like a fair amount of e-commerce experience mm-hmm. and my brain in general kind of works in Excel spreadsheets and systems and um, to kind of just take this big, lumpy, somewhat inefficient thing that is my store Mm -hmm. and, like, put it up online and make a system that is, that, like, generates more revenue than it costs me in, like, labor and headache to run it Mm -hmm. um, uh, is daunting. That's so, key. That's what's, what's keeping me? you. I'm, I'm stopping me. <laughs> oh, well, it's good luck with that. Well, and you see this with other restaurants and, and all these yeah. places that like when the restaurants close in New York, they, uh, they set up a system. A lot of restaurants were like, okay, we're going to pivot to delivery. And mm-hmm. they did it for a week and then they stopped because it's, um, Sorry, that's my dog sneezing. <laughs> oh, that's three. Nice work, buddy. Um, they they did it for a week and then they stopped because um, it's it's the labor just to turn on the burners and get everything mm-hmm. going and bring people in and then do delivery. The margin you lose in the services, like mm-hmm. it's uh, it's not worth it. And um, especially not with uh, what looks like a medium to long term reality. At the the very least, it'd be one thing if it was actually a short term, oh, this is for a week or two or even a month, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So which brings us, I think, to the the stimulus relief aid clusterfuck Mm -hmm. package. Um, And I will say that, like, the the unemployment guarantees and some of the, the the like. It's not a. It's not terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, like it does seem like there's a lot of giant corporate handouts in there, but the the SBA administered forgivable loan program like has potential. Um, mm. So like I'll walk you through what it would look like for my business, and then okay. I'll tell you why I don't understand how it could possibly work for my business. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like we, you know, we're like my margin mix has changed, so we're struggling, and like we could definitely use help. Um, with our finances to get mm-hmm. through. Um, I am loath to take on more debt um, because I'm already servicing a large debt mm-hmm. and, you know, it's it, it eats away at most of my profit. Um, and the idea of, like, taking on debt now in an extremely uncertain environment and I don't, you know, without right. 
knowing how I could pay it back is daunting, mm-hmm. uh, to say the least. And, and that just doesn't make business sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. Now, uh, s- uh, historically, SBA loans are like personally guaranteed, and, and I would never guarantee an additional loan in such an uncertain environment mm. for my business. Like that seems totally bananas. Right. Um, what they're, what's on the table now is a forgivable loan that can be used to cover um, payroll, rent, utilities, mm. um, and I think maybe healthcare costs associated with, um, you know, with the virus uh, for the next, I think it's like three months, basically, April, May, and part of June. Okay. And um, the... It would be a, a zero interest loan for that period of time, and then it, uh, the amount that you use on those things that I just mentioned mm-hmm. could be forgiven, provided that you end this period, which I think is like somewhere in mid-June, mm-hmm. um, with the same payroll and number, like same average payroll and same number of employees mm-hmm. that you started it with like roughly like mid-February beginning of February interesting so I I started with 20 I'm down to 11 Mm -hmm. a good chunk of those were either quarantined or self-furloughed and are like out of state Mm -hmm. um and I well I don't think it needs to be the exact same people um the idea that like in by June by like let's call it June 15th I don't know the exact date but it's somewhere Mm -hmm. around there Mm -hmm. um the idea that like my business like our customers would return in such numbers that it would justify me rehiring the same amount of staff at the same pay rate um, in in fewer than 90 days seems insane to me. Mm. Batshit crazy. Mm. Um, and to make that the stipulation, and like I think it's like there's some arcane mathematical formula that reduces the forgivable amount mm-hmm. um, based on like how close you get to that goal. I see. Um, so it's not an all or nothing. And after if... that, right. It's not an all or nothing, but I don't, I, I'll, I'll know more tomorrow when I speak to my accountants about what, you know, what the language is and how it's supposed to work. Like the SBA hasn't actually issued formal guidance on it yet, although I think that's mm-hmm. coming this week. Um, and then there's like banking fees and other fees associated with it. So it's not like it's f- exactly free money. And then the unforgiven amount kicks in at like four percent interest um mm. which is low but also yeah. not nothing it's, it's a loan that you uh right and right. and to my as, as far as i understand it currently it, it it does not require a personal guarantee although again like if you're going to saddle your business with debt like it's it's not ideal either mm. way right so i don't know i i would say that if my business is any like it's, I just can't bring on people to pay them to stand around. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't. My I can't afford to. At, you know, once we're through this period and I no longer have free money or forgiven loan money to do that with, like, then I'm in a situation where I I have to like lay people off again. Mm-hmm. Um, so there need, I think point, there's going to have to be some tweaks. Right. Hmm. Like. If, if, you know, otherwise it's like, okay, I, I rehire, I, I'm expected to like not only rehire people, like I've lost a lot of people that are trained. So if I, if I can't rehire the same people, then I have to hire and train new people mm-hmm. to do business that like, 
isn't necessarily going to be there because I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think people are going to be out and about exactly in two months' time. Yeah, it seems highly unlikely, at least here. Yeah, I, mean, well, I think we'll probably be over the hump by June in terms of, like, peak infection rate, but we'll, you know, that that social distancing will keep that number manageable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to get unmanageable in the next seven to ten days and get really bad in the next 14 to 21. Mm-hmm. And then after that, probably start to come down again. But, like, um, well, so I think you'll see, like, restaurants be able to reopen with half max capacity again and same with bars. And um, there'll be some, some like, uh, societal herd immunity um, mm-hmm. that should help reduce you know, hospitalizations, but like people are going to keep getting sick. It's not just going to disappear and there's right. not going to be a vaccine in that time. So, right. um, I guess the point of that is that there's just so much uncertainty and the, while a forgive, like a, a grant, which is essentially what a forgivable loan, uh, is, is like super promising. I think that's the right call. And that's like something that in theory could be really good for quote unquote mainstream America. And I recognize that I have very little in common with mainstream America and my mm-hmm. business, nor does my business, but like, uh, or main street America, I should say, mm-hmm. um, main street, main street USA. That's there. The that's it. For. Disneyland classic. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, as it stands now, like it, it's a promising first step. Um, yeah. and I think the, the unemployment, uh, that they put into place uh, is super, super robust, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. Although I'm hearing anecdotally that it's nearly impossible to actually file right now. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. They're going to have to do something because unemployment numbers that are going to come out next month are going to make even this yeah. month seem small, which we're already something like four or five times the previous high Yeah, are going to be even mm. way, way, way larger. Yeah. It's like your uh, your thirty day wait on your bottom line. It's like the government has this similar thing with the unemployment numbers. It's like we know it's coming, but we well, have yeah. to wait. And I actually, I'm I I filed like we we were randomly selected to file with the Bureau of Labor and Statistics our hiring numbers like a couple of years ago, and we mm-hmm. we file every month. It's annoying, but we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those jobs numbers that come out every month. Um, are like we actually contribute to mm. those job numbers, and like I, I know for a fact that the numbers I filed at the end of uh, March, because mm-hmm. um, it's it's for the twelfth of each month. Um, oh, like our numbers did not include the layoffs or self furloughs, um, mm. and won't until for another two weeks from wow. now. Wow, that's yeah. really interesting. So so we you know at the last numbers we reported, we still had twenty people on staff, mm. whereas the next. If we're still open, well, you know, we'll have 11 Hmm. max. Wow. Very, very interesting insight. Um, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to pivot as we get to the end of this sort of bonus extended episode we're doing today and ask you what, if anything, is helping you to cope? Oh, um, alcohol. (laughs) Um, if I'm being, uh, if I'm being Mm -hmm. perfectly honest, like I had socked away some nice bottles. Um, we're, uh, we're, I think we're pretty much at the end of all of my nice wine. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think we we had talked, we spoke like in preparation for the show and I was just like, you know, 
we're, we're if if now is not the time to drink your good wine, I don't know when is. Right, it's um, such a good point. And uh, we're, you know, the occasional Xanax helps, particularly in moments where I, I'm like kind of crippled by like self doubt or fear mm-hmm. or, um, you know, whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, although I, I I think probably. I should be saying exercise and yoga uh, and, um, you know, therapists. Uh, I wouldn't like believe you if you listed quite... those as your top three. <laughs> yeah, well, I, that's, I, that says a lot about me, I think. Um, How about connecting know, uh, with other people? Like, have you, you know, you mentioned that you've had a lot of doctor friends. I imagine even just hearing about oh, that, the and I mean it's not <laughs> that's, uplifting that's by not, any means but it's no. in terms of kind of perspective and being you know I supportive. talked to a few people mm-hmm. you know today's today's my my fifth wedding anniversary oh, um, happy anniversary and we had plans thank you we had plans to go to a nice dinner and mm-hmm. uh that obviously isn't happening um and so we're just going to she's going to cook our our Favorite, well, my favorite dinner, I guess, which sounds extremely heteronormative. Now that <laughs> yeah, that, Aaron. But, <laughs> uh, um, but uh, yeah, we're going to, and maybe do like a happy hour with her coworkers and talk to people. Mm-hmm. Um, w- when I talk to her coworkers who are all like working remotely, but very busy and, and are going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all like, I don't know, they, they, they tell me that I'm doing good work staying open. And mm-hmm. that, um, even though I own a bougie grocery store and she shop. Like, it's important. It brings people a sense of normalcy, and it brings people a sense of routine, and mm-hmm. is a glimmer of, like, positivity in an otherwise pretty dark uh, mm-hmm. time. And so, you know, it's hard for me to. I don't take compliments well, but it's nice to hear that. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, uh, it's. I would say that our customers have generally kind of reflected that view as well. Like. There's one couple with a new a new kid who they make our shop as their only outing of the day. When they come in, they get a cup of coffee, they leave, and um, and it's you know they they thank us for being open, and that's like mm. incredibly meaningful. Yeah, yeah, I think that connection is like at the heart of why why do retail at all, you know, on right. some level. Yes, and I've always loved the hospitality side of this business, but. Mm-hmm. Um, coping, honestly, like, you know, talking to other people that are in the same boat. I've been speaking to, um, Bianca, who, who owns, um, Mermaid's Garden Fish Shop, um, Aaron Campbell, who owns Campbell Cheese, um, been talking a little bit to, um, you know, Mateo up at Jasper Hill, mm-hmm. um, Ann Saxelby, uh, mm-hmm. and just, you know, we're all in different boats, um, but it's at least nice to know that. Like we're, we, we've all got holes in our boats um, <laughs> and, and, and there's, you know, mi- misery loves company. Uh, and so mm-hmm. to that extent, it's, it is, it's a little bit I don't know, nice is not the word, but comforting maybe. Yeah. To, the shared to experience, you're, you're not alone. whether it's good or bad. Yes. Yeah. I think it's important. And I think that's part of, I don't know, maybe that's a good, that's a good um, final sentiment for the show today. Listeners. We hope that this was helpful, if not um, our most uplifting show we've ever done. But hopefully those of you out there who are experiencing this on either side of the counter or 
um, the cash register, you know, we hope this insight was helpful. Um, yeah. Um, and if anyone wants to reach out to me personally, um, I'm, I, you know, I'm, we've always been quite open book about what we do. Uh, and I would, I would, I, I would never pretend to say that what we're doing is like the right solution or the best way to do something. Um, but I'm certainly happy to tell you how and why we chose to do it the way we do it. And, uh, and I'm open to suggestions and, and commiseration and, uh, uh, I'm just foster at fostersundry.com. Great. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thanks for sharing and really opening up about this whole experience. I think it means a lot. Well, I appreciate you having me on and uh, I hope our listeners, yeah, we, uh, we know it's downer, but we thought it was important <laughs> to share and um, yeah, uh, just keep, keep fighting the good fight. And, and if, you know, if you're, you know, also, like, seriously, it's depressing. And so, like, if you were really struggling, like, reach out to somebody. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if we'll be open tomorrow or next week. Um, but we're open now. And uh, that's something. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you having me on. And, uh, um, yeah, keep on. to Everybody stay safe and stay healthy. It's crazy out there. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back next week with more Cutting the Curd. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.